All right, about time to get our get our Bible class started here uh, on Wednesday night. Thank you all for coming and be here in the class. I've enjoyed the class tonight. We'll probably probably wind up the class and then we'll switch back to uh, a rotation. I think Don's got some stuff that he's wanting to finish up. Of course, Josh is here with us full time and we're kind of figuring out who's going to do what. So tonight should finish us up on our study. We've been studying about the period of time and the chain of events that has happened since Jesus was with the disciples at the Last Supper leading up to when they turned him over to crucifixion. And tonight, we started on Pilate a little bit last Wednesday, so that's where we'll start at tonight. Like I said, I've enjoyed teaching this class with you guys. You're a, a well-studied group. Your participation has been really good, and it's been encouraging. You guys have had some nice comments to say about the class, and I appreciate that a lot too. So getting back with where we're going, we'll do a little bit of review from last week on Pontius Pilate. Of course, where we're at in the story is They've just left the garden. Jesus is in custody, and they've taken him to Annas, and then they've taken him to uh, taken him to the high priest, and then and then now they have come up with a plan that they're going to take him to Pontius Pilate and give you a review of who Pontius Pontius Pilate is. Is he's he's the governor, the current governor or the prefect, as history calls him. There is no historical record of Pilate in his early life, and there is no accurate record of his life after he left office. So we don't have anything we can really lean on. There's some things that are questionable that they wrote about what he what he done or involved himself in after he left office, but it's nothing real reliable history-wise, so I thought we wouldn't go into that. Some of his responsibilities as, as prefect or governor, uh, Pilate was the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea. He commanded Roman military units. He authorized construction projects, was head of the judicial system, he decided civil and criminal cases, which brings us to why he was having Jesus put in front of him to decide on behalf of the Jews of what to do with him, was part of his job as governor. He arranged for the collection of imperial taxes and the dispersing of funds, including the minting of coins. You know, last week we looked at a picture of one of the coins that was minted by Pilate and had some imperfections and wasn't, you know, wasn't a perfect mint like we, we see nowadays. Um, although Pilate spent most of his time in the, in the coastal town of Caesarea, he traveled to Jerusalem for important Jewish festivals. That's why he was in town in Jerusalem during this time. Um, it, that would explain why he would be there for the, for the Feast of the Passover. Um, while he stayed in Jerusalem, he stayed in the Praetorium, which is, is uh, uh, a place that he would make decisions or where people would, would go there to have decisions presented before him or requested. So that's where he winds up. Jesus winds up having to go before him at. And it was either the former palace of Herod the Great or a fortress located at the northwest corner of the temple, according to history. Josephus states that Pilate governed for 10 years, and these dates traditionally are dated from 26 to 36 or 37 A.D., making him one of the two longest-serving governors of the province. And one of the comments that we had last week is why he would be one of the two longer-serving governors is evidently he did pretty good at striking the balance between the Jewish people and representing the Roman government. And that's not necessarily a good thing for either group. Pilate wasn't necessarily an honest guy like a lot of these folks that we see in these stories. We looked at a, a, a limestone block called the Pilate Stone that we talked about a little bit last week. It was found in June of 61, 1961, by an Italian archeologist as they were excavating an area in the ancient theater area uh, that Herod had built around the city there in Caesarea. And it had an inscription on it that talked about Pontius Pilate, so they've labeled that the Pilate Stone, and they think that that stone actually came from Pilate's time. 
and that it was used in the steps on this. Um, so where we're going to start out tonight is in Matthew 27. We're going to read through some of Matthew 27's account. It's going to begin at the beginning of the chapter. And we're going to look at some of the things that we learned from Matthew. And then when we get to Mark, and I didn't really put these in order because you know we see Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John in order in our New Testaments, but it's not necessarily in that order. I looked at in order of the things that we learn from them. So Matthew's account's pretty good. Mark doesn't really give us anything unique compared to the other ones, so we won't really spend any time in Mark. Then we'll jump to Luke and learn some, and we'll wind up with John. And John's exchange, again, to me, seems to be one of the better exchanges with his story. So we start out in Matthew 27. It says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, his answering nothing, then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him, Not, not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. I thought it was interesting that it says that the governor marveled greatly. Now, you know, as, as long as Jesus had been there around the Jer Jerusalem and the teaching that he had done and the synagogues and, and the things that he had taught and the miracles that he had performed, and then Pilate marvels at the fact that at this point Jesus not defending himself with the accusations that's being put before him. So now at the feast of the Passover, the governor, starting in verse 15, now at the feast of the Passover, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished, and evidently this is an agreement that they had. Uh, the Roman government through Pilate had an agreement with the Jewish people that the Feast of the Passover, they would be willing to release one prisoner and the Jews got to decide who that prisoner was. I guess with no, no real parameters around who that could be. So when the Feast of the Passover rolled around, they knew that they could request the release of one, so that's what's about to happen here. Verse 16 said, and at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Verse 18 says, For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. I think that's interesting, the fact that this is recorded there, that Pilate knew that from everything he'd seen and everything that he knew about the Jewish leaders and what he saw out of Jesus to this point, it says that he knew that they had handed Jesus over to him out of envy. Uh, verse 19 says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, and this particular, what we're about to read is not recorded in any of the other accounts. You know, we talked about the fact that these men are writing from inspiration. The Holy Spirit has given them memory of what they witnessed, what they heard, what they saw, um, and what they knew to be factual during these times. And, and Matthew's the only one that records what we're about to read here. It says, while he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent him saying, have nothing to do with this just man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Um, done a little bit of digging trying to find out if there was anything else recorded in history or told to us about Pilate's wife, and I didn't find anything. Uh, most everything I read from the accounts that I looked up, it just didn't say anything really about her other than this one, one pick here in Matthew that, that talks about that she had these dreams. So somehow she was given dreams that was relating to Jesus. And there's no real explanation about that, if that was something that God had sent to her or why she had these dreams, or if it's just something that's on someone's mind, you know, hey, you'll have something on your mind and it's really weighing on you and you go to sleep and, and then you have these dreams. But it says it was, it was given, uh, I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So I don't know if she was napping and dreamed it. I just don't know. It doesn't tell us. But it's another interesting fact that Matthew 
tells us the other accounts don't. It says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas to destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to him, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? So he's still trying to figure out, you know, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with him? And they said to him, Let him be crucified. And then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered him and said, The blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. A couple of things in this latter part of the reading there. I think it's interesting in verse 24 that says, When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands. That's not the first time that we heard that word tumult, is it? So what do you remember about that reading in the earlier accounts when they were trying to make up this plan of how they were going to arrest Jesus? What were, the, what, what were they worried about? What were the chief priests and the elders worried about? Yeah, so you can... Anybody else? You can remember back in the earlier parts of the chapters that we read as they were building up to this, they actually said when they were talking to Judas, they said, we're fear the people and we want to take him out of, out of plain view of the people. That wasn't the wording they used, but they wanted to take him in secret because they feared the people and they didn't want to cause a tumult. Or a tumult. Um, but now you have that actually happening here as they see this coming together. But what's the difference between that happening when they were trying to take him into captivity and, and that happening now at this point? Things have changed quite a bit since the beginning, right? And then on top of that, if the Jewish leaders had to deal with an uprising of the people, Pilate would probably be better equipped to deal with that, having the back of the Roman Roman guard and the people that he would have had resources to. But the Jews were fearful of that. Also, the Jews didn't want to lose their place, uh, their, their, their state of stature, and the things that they enjoyed there as well. So everything is starting to flip a different direction. There's, there's a tumult that's come up. People are getting upset. Things have switched the other direction. So at this point, the people that are there and they've surrounded the place and they're trying to see what's going on and the ones that are hearing it, like Don said, it's flipped the other way. So now at this point, Pilate's saying, well, I've got to do something. I've got an uprising here. That was part of Pilate's duty as the governor. He was supposed to keep the peace. So the Roman government sent him down there, and that was his area to govern, to oversee, because he had to keep the Jews in line. You've got to remember the Jews were a captive people. That land at the time was under rule by Romans, and they didn't, they didn't want uprising. They didn't want trouble. They didn't want people writing. What usually happens whenever people write and all get all wound up about stuff together as a group, even today? Escalates. They tear up things. They're not productive. You know, things, things are in unrest. Of course, they're wanting the taxes to be paid and things to go smooth and the city to be maintained because, you know, the Romans own all that. 
now at this point. So they have a reason to not want all that to go sideways. So Pilate has that on his mind, sure. Uh, I'm sure when he gets to this point, but he goes and he washes his hands. You know, you see the movies that they make on TV and they always make, make it a point to, to show that, that Pilate washes his hands and he says, you know, I, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And, you know, the people are still wanting Barabbas to be released. So that's our reading of it there in Matthew. We're going to skip over Mark because he doesn't really give us any details that's unique there. We're going to go on over to Luke chapter 23. Any comment or questions about Matthew's reading so far with what we looked at there? Okay, we're in Luke chapter 23. Some of this is going to be the same, so there's a little bit of repetitive, but there's some interesting things that comes out that's different here with Luke. So as we read through, we'll notice the differences. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Why did they say that? Why was that like the first thing that they said when they brought him before Pilate? Why wouldn't Pilate like that? Why would that be a problem? What are the Romans mainly focused on? Keeping the Jews settled down, not getting stirred up. They want their taxes to be paid. Probably yeah, I mean, that's, that's like, if you're going to do that, like you're turning on the government, that would, that would be, you know, pretty, pretty difficult or, or pretty, uh, pretty significant, I guess, is what I meant to say. Yeah, so, and if that starts to grow traction, that's like major. So they come up with this story as they brought Jesus into Pilate. Hey, here's what the guy's doing. He's perverting, uh, perverting the nation. He's forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying he himself is Christ the King. So it's like he, they're pitting him against Caesar. That's a major, major deal. So they were accusing Jesus of rebellion against the Romans and their King Caesar. That's what it amounts to. Um, any other comments about that before we move along? Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you king of the Jews? So Pilate's going to ask him himself. He says, Hey, are you king of the Jews? I mean, that's if you read back in Matthew, that's what Pilate asked him. So evidently this was told to him when it first came in. That's what I like about comparing these accounts because different ones notice and remember different things. So you've got Luke writing here. This is what's told to Caesar whenever they went into the place. And then it causes Pilate to ask, Hey, are you, are you king of the Jews? So he's basically saying, Do you think you're king of the Jews? Is that what they're saying? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. So his answer didn't convince Pilate that he was trying to cause a problem. So Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. Um, but they were more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. So they mention Galilee here at the end of verse 5. And then that brings us to a different section. Here in verse 6, it says, When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man, if the man were from Galilee. So he's asking, is, is this guy, is Jesus, is he from Galilee? And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, uh, who was also in Jerusalem at this time. Now we've got a little short video. I'm going to see if Nate can put up and play for us here. And we could go look at the same verses that this video is going to talk about. And it's, it's this guy that's got a program. And I haven't really checked him out real close. So if you go look at his program... Just bear in mind that I don't know a lot about him, but the verses that he references and what he shows here is accurate to what we could look at about Herod. And we could do a whole study that could take a whole Wednesday night on Herod, so I don't want to get off on that too much. 
But this guy is a is a like a like a traveling historian. He says, and he drives this jeep and he goes around and he talks about this stuff. So anyway, it'll tell you some verses that Herod has talked about and tell you a little bit about Herod to remind you who Herod is in this story. Jesus once warned his followers to beware of the leaven of Herod, Mark 8:15. In so doing, he was warning the people to beware of idols, hypocrisy, and lies spreading from the Roman culture, which Antipas had incorporated into the city he built here. Jesus also compared Antipas to one who wears soft clothing and lives in a luxurious royal palace, and also a reed shaking in the wind, Luke 7, 24 and 25. Many believe Jesus got this reed metaphor from one of the coins that Antipas had minted, showing a reed on one side. In referring to him as a reed shaking in the wind, Jesus may have been implying that Antipas was weak and easily swayed by Roman influence. Whatever Jesus was implying, it was not a compliment. These were covert digs at the local leader. Once Jesus referred to Antipas as a fox, referencing his continual hunting of Jesus. Antipas had attempted to track Jesus down like he had John the baptizer, but had been unsuccessful. Later, Herod Antipas got paranoid that Jesus was actually John the baptizer resurrected from the dead. Herod continued the hunt for Jesus, but was unsuccessful. As we'll soon see, their first and only meeting came later at the trial of Jesus. So a couple of things about that. You know, Herod here, there's several Herods that you'll read about over the course of the Bible in the Scriptures. And you know that there was a Herod that tried to kill off the, the Jewish children, trying to stop the Christ that was being born. So he killed a lot of the, a lot of the Jewish children trying to stop Christ from being born, and then that was unsuccessful, we know that. And then Herod had to realize that too, or at least he probably probably thought he might not have been successful, but he didn't know for sure. So one of the curiosities I had is I listened to what this guy says, and then know, and then thinking about Herod trying to kill off all the all the children, trying to stop Jesus from being born, and then and then John the Baptist comes along, and then Herod winds up being successful at, at um, dealing with John the Baptist, having John, John beheaded. And all that happens, and then you've got Christ actually comes along and he starts doing all the teaching that he was doing daily in the temple, and he was not fearful of uh, retribution or backlash from teaching in the temple like he did. But you've got Herod all the time still, um, you know, fulfilling his office and going along. Why do you think Herod didn't just come and take Jesus as an adult and deal with him at that point? If he tried to kill him as a child and that didn't work, have you ever thought about at some point with the power that Herod had because? He was superior there. Why couldn't Herod just come in and deal with Jesus now at this point before it got to where we get to in our story? Have you thought about that? I think one thing, the common people heard him gladly. And that might have been Herod's problem there. It might have been hard to come in and just like clamp down on Jesus or deal with him publicly because people really liked him. Anything else? Yeah, so he couldn't just go in and just start killing adults, you know. Right. 
So you remember like in Don Zach's class, he talked about Simon the Sorcerer. What was one of the things that Simon the Sorcerer was best known for? Being a sorcerer. That's exactly right. He was pretty good at it. But it was sleight of hand. It wasn't really the miracles that Jesus would perform. So history tells us, if you, if you go back and you read Josephus and some of the historians, there was a lot of folks going around. There was a lot of Simon, Simon the sorcerers. He was not the only one. There was also folks going around claiming to be the Christ. And they would go around and claim to be the Christ and they would do this sleight of hand and do some things like Simon would do. But they weren't really the Christ. And then that would eventually play out. They weren't the Christ and it wouldn't come to fruition and nothing would really happen with it and it would kind of play out. So don't you think that as time went by and some of these guys popped up and they tried to do their thing and, and they gained a following and then it would fizzle out because they were just men and it wouldn't really come to anything? I, I imagine, this is some of my thoughts, some of the things that you guys said are, um, you know, I didn't think about the one that you said, but... Uh, you know, those play into it too. So if they're watching this play out and they're seeing these guys rise up and then they do these things and it, and it doesn't really come to anything, they may have just thought Jesus was another one of these guys that wouldn't really come to anything, but then all of a sudden it really did come to a thing. And he's got all these people that are backing him and, and like him and listening to him and don't want anything done with Jesus. Then Herod's got a different situation on his hands rather than trying to deal with somebody that's just not as well known that's got a small group following him. So... I thought that was something interesting about why Herod didn't do something before it got to this point. So when we read through this, with these things in mind about Herod, then uh, it makes it a little more interesting. Then verse 6, When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. And now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. So I'm not really thinking that Herod is believing at this point is that he's the Christ. He just probably thinks he's some guy that's got sleight of hand that's doing these miracles and something that might be interesting to see. So Herod's anxious to see him because this guy seems a little different. So he's wanting to see who he is. And then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. So Jesus never answered him. With all the things Herod tried to question him, Jesus wouldn't answer him. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. So, you know, whenever Pilate sent him to Herod, they followed along with him. They followed him. So they wanted to make sure that the story was told to fit their, I guess, their narrative. So they wanted to make sure that, that Herod heard these things from them. So uh, verse 11 says, Then Herod, with all his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, mocked him, arraying him with a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Um, so any questions or comments about that exchange? It's interesting to me that that's all that it amounted to. So I don't know if they told Herod that they were planning on taking him back and crucifying him, that they thought this was what was going to happen with him. Um, just not sure about that, but it's an interesting exchange, I thought, that Luke, Luke shows us. Then back in verse 13, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. 
No, neither did Herod, for I sent, uh, sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Um, verse 16 there, it says, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Remember what was one of the things that we talked about we thought might have been in Judas' mind whenever he betrayed Christ? It's a possibility that Judas thought when he got turned over that it wouldn't really come to fruition, that Christ wouldn't really be crucified. And here it actually says that, that uh, Pilate tries this. You know, he says, I will therefore chastise him and release him. So he was planning on chastising him, maybe whipping him a little bit and then releasing him. So maybe that really is what, what Judas had on his mind thinking would happen. Um, but Pilate tried it and, it and it doesn't work. He said in verse 17, for it was necessary for him to release one uh, to them at the feast. So he's still trying to release him instead of Barabbas. Verse 18 says, and they all cried out, uh, they all cried out at once saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion uh, made in the city and for murder. So that, that tidbit that it tells us about why Barabbas was there, why, why is that significant to know that? He was thrown into prison for a certain rebellion and, and uh, made in the city and for murder. So he had rebelled and he'd murdered someone. Why is that significant for us to know that? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, that's kind of like he had led a rebellion, so he had a lot of people stirred up. He had a following, had a group with him. So he, it's not a rebellion if you're by yourself, obviously. So he had led a rebellion and he had committed murder. That's kind of, that's, that's, that's capital right there. What are they accusing Jesus of? Leading a rebellion, right? So they're wanting to release to him someone that has done the very thing that they're accusing Jesus of, but Jesus hadn't murdered anybody. So Barabbas was like, he was like extra. You know, they were accusing Jesus of the same thing Barabbas had done, but he's, he's extra with the murder on top of it, and they're still wanting him to be released. So Pilate can see this while this is playing out. And it says, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out, or Pilate therefore, in verse 20, Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them, and they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And then he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him, and I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Second time he asks about this, but they won't have it. They said, um, 23 says, But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed, so that Pilate gave sentence, that it should be as they requested, and he released to them the one who they requested for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. So I find it fascinating that how they write this, the different writers give us different insights into the accounts and things that happen. Any thoughts or comments about uh, what Luke had to write there?
starting in on something, but they push and push and push that. And then look at the situation we're in today. I mean, abortion and then homosexuality. You know, if instead of looking at things in the right way, they're swayed. Most everything leads back to money, doesn't it? Yeah, so Pilate's living a pretty good life in Caesarea most of the time, him and his wife, probably a pretty nice place. He's got all his power, he's got money, he's got people under him. Then he comes to Jerusalem, lives in a pretty nice place while he's there. He gets to make decisions about random things, uh, minting money, and you know, he doesn't have to, I don't think he has to do a whole lot of hard things until you get something like this. And, and then, you know, he's, he's not, he's trying to look at it the right way because he's saying he's a just man. He's saying he ha hadn't done anything and I find no fault in him. But still, you got this crowd in front of him, and he's probably thinking in the back of his mind, I, you know, I'm here to keep the peace. You know, I know I've got a guy here that's not done anything, but uh, they're getting louder and louder, and, and eventually that's the direction it goes. All right, John 18. Some interesting things from all the other accounts, but John has some stuff that, that I, I really, really like as we read through it that he lets us know about. John 18, verse 28 is where we'll start. And then they led Jesus from Caiaphas at the Praetorium, the Judgment Hall. The Praetorium is a Judgment Hall. That's another name for what the Praetorium is. And it was early morning, so John tells us what time of day it was whenever they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it's early morning. Remember, they've been meeting at night, which is illegal by Jewish law. Uh, all this stuff that they've done, they've done at night, and all this swapping around before they get him to Pilate. And it's done at night. They shouldn't have been doing that. And it's during the feast week on top of it. So they're already doing things that they shouldn't be doing, according to Jewish law. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. What does that mean? that they didn't go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Why didn't they go in there? Why would they be defiled and why would that keep them from eating the Passover? Something that John tells us the other ones doesn't. Something they weren't supposed to be around? Yeah. So the praetorium was the judgment hall. And if you went into the judgment hall, that was seen as a, I guess, a Roman or a Gentile, like Robert said, uh, place that you could go into. As a Jew, you could go into that. It was okay. But once you did that, then you were defiled and you had to do a cleansing ritual, which took time. You couldn't just go take a shower and then you'd be good to go. There was a period of time that they had to observe. So if they followed Jesus into the judgment hall in the praetorium, then they'd have to go through this cleansing ritual which would go past when they were supposed to be able to eat the Passover. So they were, they were concerned about that, about not getting to eat the Passover. So you've got these high-level Jews, you've got the, the chief priests and the elders, and they're not willing to do this. They're not willing to go in there and defile themselves, yet they've got the Son of God that they're trying to have murdered in a, in a Roman court, and that's okay. They've had hearings in courts all night that they weren't supposed to be having, but that's okay but they don't want to go in a room that they could defile them. That seems ridiculous to me. But anyway, that's something that John lets us see here. And I'm thankful that he wrote that in there because it's very curious to me. Um, any thoughts about that? 
Verse 29 says, And Pilate then went out to them. And that's another thing with Pilate here. He had to go in and out. So he went out to them. He had to hear their complaints. And then he'd go back into Jesus. And he talked to Jesus. And then he'd have to go back out there because they weren't willing to come in there. That had to be, that, that had to be frustrating to have to go back and forth and back and forth. And that's my conjecture. It doesn't say that. And I think as you, we go through this exchange that John records, you're going to see a little bit of animosity between the Jews and Pilate. So just watch for that as we go through this. So then Pilate went out to them because they wouldn't come in. What accusation do you bring against this man? And then they said, they answered him and said, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. So that's kind of like saying, we know what we're doing. You know, would he be standing here if he hadn't done something wrong? It's, that's, to me, that's, that's showing a little attitude. And then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said, so, so they, they say to Pilate, if he hadn't done anything wrong, he wouldn't be here. And then he says, well, you go judge him then. So there's a little back and forth here between them that John includes us into. And then Pilate said, uh, verse 31, then Pilate said, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So they admit that. They know that here. They talked about it amongst themselves, but they're saying to Pilate openly, we know we can't put someone to death. That's not lawful, and that's why we're here. We brought him here, and we want him put to death, and we can't do it. So we want you to do it. So that's why they're standing there. So they tell Pilate that right out of the gate, that it's not lawful for them to put someone to death. Uh, and then verse 32 says, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. What does that mean? Jesus had signified or said what death he would die. And the fact that they took him to Pilate, what does that mean? What could the Romans do that the Jews couldn't do besides just put someone to death? Crucify. Couldn't crucify. Not an option for the Jews. They could stone somebody. They could gather them around and beat them to death with rocks if they got angered like, like they did Stephen. But they couldn't build a cross, dig a hole, nail a guy to it, and then stand it up. That was, that was a Roman thing. So Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to be crucified. So that's what that verse is saying. Um, let me find my spot here. Yeah, verse, verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which He spoke, signifying by what death He would die. And then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to Him, Are you the King of, King of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning Me? So he's asking Pilate, he's saying, So is this something that you've came up with on your own? Or is it because these other ones have told you this? So he asked Pilate a question in return. He didn't really answer it. He asked Pilate a question. And then uh, in verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? So Pilate's kind of saying, Am I a Jew? You know, I don't, I take that to mean that he's saying, You know, I don't get involved in these matters. Am I a Jew? Do I, do I care about the Jewish stuff? You know, what the Jews are worked up about? I'm, am I worried about that? Am I a Jew? You know, what have you done? So Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? So Pilate's still trying to figure it out. And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, for this cause I've come into the world, 
that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Verse 38, Pilate says this. He says, what is truth? Is what he says to him. So why did Pilate ask Jesus this? And was this a question or was it a statement? Yeah. So it depends on what man decides they want to be true. And he knows that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's in government. Yeah. So. He's witnessing it with what he's seeing in front of him with the Jews, isn't he? He's seeing them all night have meetings they shouldn't have because they showed up first thing in the morning dragging Jesus with them, trying to get him crucified. They've admitted they can't kill him, that they need him to do that. He's seeing nothing but lies and dishonesty out of the Jews, yet they won't cross the praetorium to be in there. So there's a lot of conjecture about why Pilate said this. And you get online and you read and everybody's got opinions. Some of them think that he was asking, you know, Jesus what truth was. The Son of God was standing in front of him. The most truthful, the most purest form of truth that you'll ever know in this world was standing right in front of him. And he asked him, why, what is truth? But then as you go on and you keep reading here in verse 38, when he says, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, so it doesn't really say that it was a question. He said when he had said this. So it makes you wonder if he just kind of like Jesus is standing there talking about truth to him. Jesus is saying that he came into this world and his whole purpose here is to bear witness to the truth. Everyone is who is of the truth. Here's my voice. And then Pilate's like, ah, what's truth? You know, that's, that's kind of my opinion of it. Don't, it don't cost you anything to know that. That's just what I think. I think, it's, I think it's not really a question. I think Pilate's not getting it. He's not seeing that this is the Christ. And there's people online that think real different. They think it was a question and Pilate wanted to know, but he didn't hang around to hear Jesus' answer about it. And then, and then it says, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. I tend to, I tend to believe he was making the statement for the lack of the truth over the whole thing that he was seeing, that he was surrounded with. I think that's the thing, the thing that uh, you know, Pilate was saying. So 39, he says, But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, No, this man, uh, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So we find out something else about Barabbas. He, he raised up an insurrection. He was leading that. He murdered someone, and he's a robber. So it's another thing on top of the accusations that Barabbas was in custody for. You're going into John 19 and 1, the story continues, Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Sometimes in the Scriptures you'll see a verse that's a little short verse, like verse 1, but there's a lot in it that it don't tell you. Like verse 1 says, Then so Pilate took him, took Jesus, and scourged him. We know what a scourging was. We've had lessons on that. We've, we've heard people go into a lot of detail of what a scourging involved. So... When you think about that relating to our lives and you know the week of so-and-so between this date and this date a lot happens in that week but it's not really described sometimes well you know i guess i'm thinking how that's relative in so many so many aspects it says he took him and scourged him but there was so much happened during that scourging so jesus is beaten and he's hurt 
and he's really been mishandled and spit on and just really mistreated by the soldiers in verse 1, and then you pick up in verse 2, and like it just says, and he scourged him. It's like, you know, it happened. And then verse 2 says, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and then they said, Hail the king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands, and Pilate then went out again, so here he goes across the praetorium to go talk to him again. And he said to him, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out again, or cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And then Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. So the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, now listen to this, he was more afraid. I find that interesting. You know, I know it gets a little tedious reading through these same accounts. Some of it's the same, but we get to these things like that. He was more afraid. What do you think about that? All right. Yeah. You got to remember from the other accounts, we know that he said, Well, I'll just whip him and turn him back over to you. Oh, I know what yeah. it was. Uh, he, I wonder if it had anything to do with the way he thought of it, because he said his kingdom was not of this world. Mm. You know, so, though, so maybe he wouldn't have felt that he was in competition with the Roman government, possibly. Yeah. So he, he gets from that that Jesus isn't trying to set up an earthly kingdom, something that the Jews didn't figure out. So I think it's interesting that he says that he was more afraid. That tells me he was afraid. At some point he started to become afraid. afraid. You've got to remember that the account that his wife sent message to him, hey, don't, don't deal with this just man. I've had these dreams, so where'd that come from? So that's in his mind too at some point. We don't know if that was before or after this was said, but it probably was because he'd been scourged at this point in John's account. So that's something that could have been playing in his mind too. In verse 9 it says, and, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where were you from? Or where are you from? So, but Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? So you've got to remember when he sent him to Herod, and Herod asked him all these questions and he never responded, he sent him to Herod because he was told that Jesus was from Galilee, but it never tells us that Jesus says he was from Galilee. It tells us that the Jews said he was from Galilee. So he's still not hearing it from Jesus where he's from, so he asked him, where are you from? And Jesus still didn't answer him. In verse 10, then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have no uh, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And then Jesus answered, You have no power at all against me, unless I had been, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Um, I think about Don's lesson that he done a while back when he was talking about his beliefs of the level of responsibility, like whenever we die and go into the afterlife, there's there, there's got to be some some levels because of things that you do. So Jesus tells Pilate outright, the one that delivered the one that delivered you to me had the greater sin. So 
all this going on and here stands the Jews out there and they can't figure out why this isn't progressing faster than they want it to. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, so the more Pilate tried to release him, they cried out saying, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. So here they come with a big one. So they're saying, hey, you're, you're not aligned with Caesar. You're not his friend if you don't let him go. So you know, that's going to be problematic. It goes back to manipulation and things like we've talked about within the government. So when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat in a place that's called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day for the Passover and about the sixth hour, so it's still giving us a timeline how we're moving forward. When would the sixth hour be? What time would that be by our clock? Noon. So, um, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And in verse 15 he says, But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, I have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered him to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. So the summary of this is, the Jews made up a story saying Jesus claimed he was a king and refusing to pay taxes in opposition to Caesar, knowing that he would be punished by death. They take Jesus to Pilate at the praetorium early in the morning. The Jews won't enter because of the laws that, uh, of being defiled and having to perform a cleansing. Pilate questions him but doesn't believe the Jews. He knows they turned him over out of envy. Pilate knows according to their agreement he has to release a prisoner to them during the Passover week and apparently um, none are off limits because they asked for Barabbas who was actually guilty of the accusation they accused Jesus of. Pilate's wife had for some reason been given dreams about Jesus and had sent word to Pilate to have nothing to do with this just man, but Pilate ignored her. The Jews argued back and forth with Pilate and admitted that uh, they're not allowed to put anyone to death. In the process, mention Galilee, which prompts Pilate to send Jesus to Herod, then in turn uh, causes Pilate and Herod to become friends from that day. And But in the end, Jesus is sent back to Pilate, even though he is more afraid at that point. He gives in, scourges Jesus, sends him to be crucified, and in the process goes down in history as the one who allowed Jesus to be crucified. A couple of things to say. Classes are coming out, and I try to wind up. I know I went a little bit long. Um, John 14 and 6, Jesus said to him, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is going back to the fact that he's standing there in front of Pilate. He's got the epitome of truth in front of him. He can't see it. Jesus is the most pure form of truth that's ever been on the earth, and he can't see it. In John 14 and 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes into the Father except through me. Uh, John 8 and 34, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, who believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And then they answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants. You have never been in bondage to anyone. How, how can you say you will, uh, be made, we will be made free or you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin, He's a slave to sin, and slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son provides, uh, abides forever. Therefore, the son makes you free, and you shall be free indeed. So Jesus frees us from sin, the most free that you could ever hope to be, to be free from sin. So I'll stop there. I know it went a little bit long, but I wanted to finish tonight and get all that in. And as far as how I got into this study originally was the very question that Pilate asked, what is truth? So I got to studying about that, so I backed up. And I went all the way through all the events, and that's what led me to this study that got me to that point is the statement that Pilate made, what is truth? 
And there's a whole study that we'll do sometime just about what truth is, and we'll look at a lot of the things that the Bible says about what truth is, our perception on truth, what we think about it like. Do you love truth? Do you only love it when it works in your favor, or do you, or do you only love it when it's against someone else and it benefits you? So there's a lot of things that we can study about that. Any comments to close the class, and I'll, I'll be quiet. All right, thank you for your attention. Sorry I went a little long.